years, your brain might turn to putty. But there's still a chance to learn. We'll be your study buddies. We're going to talk about some stuff and make research cool. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Study Buddies with Paula Sanchez Abreu. And Taylor Collins. Welcome back for another week. How you doing, Taylor? I am doing pretty good this week. Um, I did have a bizarre experience. Have you ever, like, have you ever been asleep and, like, you are in a dream, you can't really tell if it's, like, a dream or not, mm-hmm. and you're, like, sort of half awake? Oh, yeah. Right. So I had that experience at like 3 a.m. one night this week. And then I like was I kind of came out of my sleep like talking. Uh-huh. Um, and I thought I heard someone say something back. And like so in my like sleepiness, I said, is someone there? And then I heard right outside my door some an officer say, hi. Yeah, there's an officer here. I'm outside of your door. What? Yeah. And I was like. Like outside of your bedroom door? Outside of my bedroom door. Now, mind you, I like live in a house and I'm on the third floor. Yeah. I was, first of all, I, was, I, I think I my immediate response was like, wait, really? <laughs> and they were like, yes, like we've asked you three times, like, can we come in? And I was like, oh my God. Now, That's horrifying. It was so scary. Um, I did not know why they were there but uh, or what was happening. Um, it was all okay. Um, it did turn out that there, like, the alarm had, like, went off and... Oh, like, the the alarm in your house? Yeah, the alarm in my, my house had went off when someone had left, but they left out a different door, and our alarm's really quiet, and it's only in one of our doors. And so none, none of us knew it went off, and so then the people who owned the house called oh, the cops, and the cops... Sh- so, and I couldn't hear them because I had, like, an air conditioner on and was sleeping, and it was all okay, but it was, like... Very surreal and, yeah. like, terrifying for a moment to just, like, be at 3 a.m., like, in the middle of your sleep God. and then woken up by, like, an actual voice that was there. It's crazy. Yeah, well, that, for one, is terrifying. But also, like, in light, in light of, like, everything that's happening right now, because so we're still in the, like, heat of the protest for Black Lives Matter and Breonna Taylor's murderers still haven't been arrested. Yes, that was actually kind of something I was going to... I guess feel uh, like a moment of honesty about was like my I think the part of it was the shock of it like being like three in the morning but like I did like open my door and like look at them and immediately just like seeing officers like my heart like sank and I just had like this like very emotional reaction to seeing them outside and they were they were very nice they were like we just wanted to make sure everyone was everyone was safe and there was no one in the home yeah Um, like we're so sorry and they went immediately downstairs and I just like Oh, I, I had like a very strong emotional reaction. My mind immediately went to Brianna Taylor and what it would have been like to have the same experience as a black woman. Right. Like answering your own door and like. Yeah, because I was sle- I was sleeping and, and they didn't they didn't know if there was an intruder in the home. Right. So I don't know how they could have reacted. They Again, they were very nice um, and everything was OK, but my brain did immediately go there and it was like. It was very emotional in that moment um, and sure. that night. The next morning, it was kind of um, twilight zony. Yeah. Um, and I think later it'll be funny. Yeah. But right now, it's uh, it, was, it was a little bizarre. So that oh. was an interesting experience. I had Isn't it crazy week. to think about the fact that you're like, well, later this will be funny. But like, 
Briona could have easily said the same thing if she was a white person. And that's that's like just insane to think about. Yeah. I mean, I, I also thought, well, maybe my experience of them reacting to me would have been different if I if my skin yeah. was different color was a different color when yeah. I opened the door. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's a a product of, I guess, recognizing my privilege and being scared for other people yeah. who um, may have a different experience than I had. What a what a visceral way to experience your own privilege during all of this. Like if you didn't if you didn't recognize it before, like, you know, which you always you do right. recognize like, it. I, like you're you're very good at recognizing your own privilege. But I'm saying like if you were a person that didn't, you know, how would that change? How would that experience change? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Wow. Well, I'm glad that um, you, everything was fine. (laughs) Me too. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's good, but they, uh, they're going to make our, our alarm louder so we can hear it this time and it doesn't (laughs) continue to go off in the middle of the night with no one aware. Actually, now that you say that, that's (laughs) the alarm's going alarm. (laughs) It doesn't work very well. Right. Like it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't wake us up. It wouldn't scare no. burglars away. It would just be like casually going off in the background for an extended Your alarm period. is like a ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. It's very quiet. Right. It's, it's a gentle reminder only if you're within like a couple feet of it. Oh man. That's funny. Yeah. So how about you? How was your week, Paula? Uh, I don't, I don't remember. I often don't remember when people ask me that. Um, but what I do know is, again, we're backlogging our episodes. How many times am I going to say that? Um, but it's Juneteenth today. And um, uh, mm-hmm. it's just like there's a lot of social media about it. But I actually, um, I received a residual check for a voiceover that I did a while ago. And it was just so much more money than I was expecting. And I feel like for the first time, I'm able to donate like large amounts of money to organizations that I feel so passionate about, like the Marsha P. Johnson Foundation specifically, um, that like helps to, that helps um, trans trans people of youth. That's amazing. Yeah. And so it, it feels really good to like just give that money and like see the donation receipt for like the amount that I've always wanted to give and not been able to. And like just knowing that like, because I'll keep receiving residual checks from this job and to know that like I have money that I can give forthcoming as well is I mean that's just like such a privilege in general but it feels so nice to be able to like give this money I wasn't expecting away and that is interesting to me because like altruism whatever like it's not a thing we're all selfish but I was listening to Bo and Yang mentioned this on um his podcast this week where he was saying that like now is a time for like non-black people to be uncomfortable and like start being uncomfortable and sometimes that means financially uncomfortable and I was like whoa I've never yeah thought about that like I've never thought about like just that like the sacrifice of donating as being not just like charity because you have the money but like because you believe in the cause so much that you're willing to make yourself uncomfortable for it. Wow. I love that because I think so much of the time people think about donating as, oh, I can spare this. I'm going to donate instead of like going out to eat Friday night. Not like I'm going to donate instead of being able to get Uh, like 
the all the groceries right. I want this week. Like making a legitimate sacrifice yeah. um, in order to maybe understand physically and financially the hardships that people experience in the day to day. And I I think that most of us don't donate. Uh, right. And it point. was so fascinating because like. Yeah, I received this money and I was like, amazing, like I'm, I can give it away because I wasn't expecting it in the first place. And then I was like, then I like heard Bowen's voice in the back of my head, like saying that. And I was like, oh, that's so crazy. Like, maybe I'll give a little more. But like still, it still wasn't even coming from that like initial place of like. I don't know about no true altruism, Paula. I think that's pretty altruistic. Eh. I don't know. I feel pretty damn good because I did it. So I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's a debate for yeah. another day, but yeah. Yeah, but it was it was just like a, um, it was one of those moments where I deeply understood what somebody said mm-hmm. like a while ago, like in me understanding what Bowen meant by making yourself financially uncomfortable for a cause. Um, I think there's a very small percentage of people who would be willing I know. to do that. And that's crazy to me. Like, and I posted on Instagram, I said something like, oh, let's see. I posted and I said, open your wallets. There are so many others that don't have because of our racist, sexist, homophobic system. If you benefit from that system at all, give back. And it's just crazy to think that, like, I don't necessarily know that that's the reason that people are donating is because they benefit from that system. And so they're like wanting to like, I don't I don't know. I mean, there's so many different reasons that people donate. But. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a complex topic, but I do like the idea that you've introduced about um, donating to under to a point to understanding the hardship. I don't I think it's a hard sell to get people mm-hmm. to have that experience. I don't know if I would do that um, personally, um, which is making me. Fe- yeah, I mean, maybe not to the extent, but like just an ounce. Which it's making me feel feelings that I wouldn't do that. But I, I don't know if I I don't know if I, yeah. I would. Personally. That's crazy yeah. to think you said it's making me feel feelings to think I wouldn't do that. That's exactly how I felt. I yeah. was like, I've never done that. Should I do that? Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's I think It it's is very complex. complex. But that was my, like, that was my most most recent thing of the week where I was like, oh, whoa, weird. My level of introspection has grown. I really, I appreciate you bringing that idea to the table. Um, speaking of introspection... I think we were going to, we should move on to our Google search diaries. Ah, yes. (laughs) Today's segment, the Google search diaries. So um, we're we're still sort of like the states are slowly reopening and people still can't get haircuts. And uh, so I Googled, (laughs) I Googled searched Johnny Bravo on images um, this week. And I don't know. Do the monkey with me. What? Do the monkey with me. Oh, that's, that's right. He always did the monkey. Um, for those of you who don't know, Johnny Bravo was a cartoon character who had a teeny, teeny waist and just the most ginormous muscles um, and like... And pretty and big hair. big blonde hair. Yeah. And wore glasses. And the reason I Google searched this was because I was trying to show my roommates what my boyfriend currently looks like. Because <laughs> his hair is so long. And, he, and it's so long that it gets so greasy that he can stick it straight up. <laughs> yeah, That's that was amazing. my Google search diary of the week. That's a perfect Google search. What about you? Uh, my Google search, I actually, this was this was a couple hours uh-huh. ago. 
Um, I had made, you know, some turkey meatballs, and I took them out of the oven, and I looked at them, and I said, oh, I need to consult Google. And I Googled how to keep the fat from leaking out of my meatballs. <laughs> what? Because I That's like feel that, like... Grossly poetic? <laughs> I'm. It's weird that it's poetic, because to me, I was just... I'm looking at it, and, like, I... On... The tinfoil was just so much like of the delicious fat that you want to keep inside of your meatballs so they taste good. And I think that the meatballs were pretty dry and all the fat was on the pan. And I I don't I don't really have a solution. Um, but, yeah, that that was what I Googled. And it, I think I'm going to do higher cook time or higher cook temperature with a lower cook time next time. Um, but that was my Google search for me. What the hell was the response? Like Google, like what did Google? Well, how did Google the, respond to the that? article I clicked on had been titled "What is oozing from my meatballs?" So, Ew, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> why? Okay, I think my issue is like, why are they called meatballs? It is so because they're balls of meat. It's like a, oh. it's a, it's a very directly named food. I think I'm only having this very strong reaction because I don't eat meat and um, it's just like, <laughs> it's just such a weird concept. Like the further oh, you I get away meat. from eating meat, I'm such the stranger meat, meat balls, meat balls, meat loaf, all of those things. Oh my God, those are, are my favorite like... things. I love loafs and also balls of meat. I like meat in <laughs> pretty much any form. I am a big meat person. Um, it makes me squeamish when you say I'm a meat balls and meat loaf or loafs and balls of meat. <laughs> it's just like my stomach is just like <laughs> I I do I do apologize for for putting you through that, but no, don't don't apologize. It's a very common thing that is said in society that I am just like weird about how to keep fat from leaking out of my meatballs it's really i want the fat in there it's, the fat is flavor i think we should move on to the next segment all right let's talk about the study shall we taylor collins yes um so paula why don't you tell us what the study you have for us today is called yeah it's um so the name of the study is called the alleged ferguson effect and police willingness to engage in community partnership um, so okay. this was a study that was conducted um, by Scott E. Wolf from the University of South Carolina and Justin Nix from the University of Louisville. So what is, you had said, the alleged Ferguson effect? Yes. So the Ferguson effect is in reference to the murder of Michael Brown at the hands of the police um, in Ferguson, Missouri. And so this is an alleged effect because it is completely hypothesized. Um the Ferguson effect hypothesis suggests that officers are conscious of negative publicity surrounding their profession, understand that their actions could be recorded by the public at any time, and become less willing to do their job as a way of avoiding being accused of racial profiling or excessive force. And then that leads to increases in crime because there's essentially what they call de-policing. So in, in short, the Ferguson effect suggests that officers do a worse job when they receive negative publicity and those that like worse policing leads to increases in crime okay um is it saying that like there's two things that like the 
is it also saying that the population would be increasing their crime due to that effect as well? Or just that they're not responding as well? So it essentially because the police aren't responding, they aren't able to prevent crime from happening more. Okay. Um, Which is, I guess, like the Ferguson effect in general also may suggest that the police's job is to stop crime from happening rather than respond to crime that is actively happening. So this is like, this isn't a thing that's occurring. This is an idea. This is an idea. Exactly. Yes, the Ferguson effect suggests that bad publicity leads to ineffective policing and higher crime. But Mm -hmm. one important thing to note is that the Ferguson effect doesn't only mean that there will be violent crimes due to this so-called de-policing. It also may mean that the police are falling away from their jobs in engaging with the community to address local problems. And that is something that's been proven to show lower crime rates when the police are able to work with their communities. So you're saying police would be less like a effective in the in their job with the community precisely yeah so that is something that this particular study is looking at within the ferguson effect okay so again this is like a hypothetical idea that's basically saying the ferguson effects is saying that the police are going to be less likely to enforce laws prevent crime Mm -hmm. um and also are going to be the people are going to be more likely to commit crimes yes exactly and this is like This is funny because it's like an alleged effect. Like it has not been really, uh, it's not been really studied. Um, It's supported by anecdotal evidence, which we all know is not the best. um, And just a lot of guesswork. And ironically, it's being spoken about in the media. So who's typically like people who are touting that this is something that's going on in the world? Yeah, it's the news um, talks about it. There is an... This, like there was an article by CNN written that talked about um, the Ferguson effect being uh, a, like having affecting police slowdown and and that suggesting that it's a surge that is responsible for a surge in violence in Baltimore. There was a New York Post piece um, by a retired police officer that suggested that that the Ferguson effect is essentially making the police out to be the enemy and therefore that leads to policing which leads to more crime so would you say this is like uh maybe potentially used in like a political context or an, in a way to get like a certain message across absolutely it's okay i think it's 100 percent trying to get this idea of like um stop rebelling against the police because there will be more crime if you do and so okay. this study is actually looking not necessarily directly at that it's looking at how this alleged Ferguson effect, so bad publicity and protesting, can lead to police officers disengaging with their community. So why is willingness from police for a community partnership so important? Well, there's been a lot of research in the past that's shown that there's um, that strong police and community partnerships increases, one, increases the citizen satisfaction with the police, Um, It reduces um, crime and it increases police accountability, which is really important. Obviously, if we keep the police accountable, then perhaps they will be doing their job well and actually serving all people. Okay. so besides for bad publicity, are there any other factors that can affect community partnership 
that the study looks at. Yes, absolutely. So that was um, one thing that was really important. And the study was making sure to um, take these confounding factors into effect. So there's two things um, that appear to be important predictors of the officer's willingness to engage in community partnership. So there's it's perceptions of organizational justice and self-legitimacy. And so I can tell you what okay. those two things are separately. Sure. Let's start with um, perceptions of organizational justice. So there's three different things within organizational justice. There's distributive justice, which is the extent to which employees feel that like promotions, salary, any kind of like outcomes from their job are fairly distributed Mm -hmm. within the organization. So praise, but praise by means of salary or just literally verbal praise is really important. Procedural justice processes used to reach decisions. So how officers are being supervised, if that supervision is unbiased, um, the reasons behind their decisions being clear, and then also allowing employees to have a voice in that decision-making process um, for any like procedures within the organization. So it seems like the... like perceptions of organizational justice are like feeling like your organization is fair um, and it takes into account like your you know perspective and is respectful of you exactly and that brings us right to the last component of organizational justice which is interactional justice and that just like the core of that is supervisors being polite honest respectful when interacting with their subordinates or their higher-ups in general Um, So it's exactly what you said, making sure that the organization that you're working for is fair and that you feel like you're being treated equally to everybody else. Right. Okay. So you had said that there's there's two like concepts that are important for officers willingness to engage in the community. And what was the second one? So self-legitimacy is the second one. Um, And this one has been self-legitimacy. Yeah. It's been of the most interest to me in reading this. So self-legitimacy is the idea that I'm just going to read what the study said because it's really difficult to articulate without it. So self-legitimacy is defined within the study as the power holders such as the police must convince themselves that their power is legitimate. The power holders recognition of or confidence in their own individual entitlement to power. So officers who have greater confidence in their own authority are more likely to be committed to agency goals and motivated to perform their duties. Wow. Okay. So this is like basically saying that officers need to feel like they're in power in order to do their duties correctly, right? Yes, exactly. So they need to feel like what they say is essentially like the law. (laughs) Okay, that's so interesting to me mm-hmm. because I, I'm, you know, I'm like reflecting on how people perceptualize law enforcement officials typically, and I think that there is um, that idea that there's a personal need to be in power or control for people who have these jobs, mm-hmm. um, and you're saying that their perception of power is actually integral to them being committed to their job and their agency. That's what I am understanding from this definition of self-legitimacy within an, within an organization. Um, and so obviously, if as an actor, self-legitimacy probably looks really different 
than right. a police officer's self-legitimacy in their own job. Self-legitimacy be like feeling like you have maybe just even the power to um, like make change or impact or like have confidence. Make a choice. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's I think it's the idea of like having the confidence to be in control of your of your of the execution of your job. Right. And it's only so difficult for this job because when you're an officer, Mm -hmm. your power and control has to do with someone else's like livelihood or life. Yeah. Whereas in a different job, it wouldn't. Yeah. And I also think that like officers are trained to be on their toes all the time, which like that level of uncertainty in the job can often make them feel like they are not in control. Um, So we'll get back to self-legitimacy as a concept because it's huge and it actually has a very interesting, it plays very interestingly into this study. Okay. So what was the study ultimately asking? So it's asking the question, does the Ferguson effect withstand the potential confounding influence of theoretically relevant variables such as organizational justice and self-legitimacy. So basically... Okay. (laughs) You did that thing again where you say a lot of words. (laughs) I said so many words. (laughs) Basically what the words mean are the study is comparing which of these three variables has the biggest effect on police engagement with the community. The Ferguson effect, organizational justice, and self-legitimacy. How do those three things play into police and community engagement? Okay. Um, How did they look at this? Okay. So they analyzed data from deputies, um, from a survey of deputies at like medium-sized sheriff's departments um, throughout a southeastern metropolitan area. So they kept all of this kind of anonymous But it was an online survey that was done in February of 2015, so actually shortly after uh, Michael Brown was murdered. And all the deputies in the agency were asked to complete the survey. So they were asked specific questions, and then they had to, like, say on a scale of, like, 1 to 10 if they Mm -hmm. agreed or not. What was the, like, first group of questions, uh, and what did it look at? So the first group of questions was looking specifically at how negative publicity has affected their, their, not necessarily their work, but, like, how they feel at work. So the negative publicity is the Ferguson effect. Exactly. Yeah. So this is testing the the Ferguson effect. So the the five questions they asked is, Um, Did negative publicity make it more difficult for you to be motivated at work? Did negative publicity cause you to be less proactive on the job than you were in the past? Um, Did it cause you to be more apprehensive about using force even though it may be necessary? Did it negatively impact the way you do your job? And did it make it less enjoyable to have a career in law enforcement? Wow. Um, That's so interesting because I'm thinking about what those what that negative publicity looked like in 2015 and As how to now. the people right mm. how people would have answered those questions versus 5 years later yeah it's been it's um, been funny like riding past cuz i'm i'm biking um for work right now um to and from work and like riding past just like a bunch of officers and i i constantly think to myself like what do they think or feel right now like it, mm-hmm. it's just i think that too yeah, it's crazy especially seeing like officers of color I, I don't know how they're doing their job right now. I have no idea. 
so they must be so pulled and so torn. Yeah, maybe. So yeah, so this was this was looking at the Ferguson effect mm-hmm. directly, how it impact, how they felt via self-report that it impacted their yeah, job. Yeah, that's what those five questions were for. And so then we can look at the okay. questions that they asked um, that were referring to organizational justice, um, which you'll remember is how how the police officer feels that their organization is being fair to their employees or not. So okay. the questions they asked was, or the statements they made was, um, command staff treats employees the same regardless of their gender. Command staff treats employees the same regardless of their race or ethnicity. Command staff clearly explains the reasons for their decisions. Command staff considers employees' viewpoints. Generally, command staff treats employees with respect, and command staff treats employees with kindness and consideration. And so again, they had to um, agree or disagree with that on a scale of 1 to 10. The questions for self-legitimacy were... And what exactly is self-legitimacy again? Self-legitimacy, thank you for asking, Taylor, is um, the basically the officer's ability to be confident and feel a sense of um, power in their job. Okay, great. I feel like it's sometimes when we have all these new terms, we have to have like a new term check along the way to make sure. New term um, check-in. Following. <laughs> yes. I love it. Um... So the questions were, or the statements were, I have confidence in the authority vested in me as a law enforcement officer. Two, as a law enforcement officer, I believe I occupy a position of special importance in society. I believe people should always do what I tell them as long as my orders are lawful. I am confident I have enough authority to do my job well. And I believe law enforcement is capable of providing security for all citizens of this county. Okay, great. So those are the five questions they asked um, to evaluate self-legitimacy. And then they asked five more questions to evaluate the officer's engagement, uh, willingness to engage with the community. Okay, so this is the dependent variable in this study. This is what we're looking at to see how those other three independent variables impact the outcome of officers' willingness to engage. So this is really important. Yes. Okay. So... The five statements were, law enforcement and community members must work together to solve local problems. Collaborating with community members is an important aspect of law enforcement. Working with the community to solve problems is an effective means of providing services to this county. I routinely collaborate with community members in my daily duties. I feel my job positively impacts the community. So that's those are the questions okay. they use to evaluate those independent variables. So, Pella, what were the results of the study? So, what they found was there was a lot of variation, obviously, in the results of the survey. But most importantly, upon evaluating all the numbers, there was no statistical evidence suggesting that the Ferguson effect directly impacts willingness um, of the police to partner with the communities. So... Um, once they took into account organizational justice and self-legitimacy and compared all the numbers, the Ferguson effect mm-hmm. is not a statistical cause of this disengagement from communities. Okay. So to take to put that in kind of like a, to understand the science behind it, they're saying that there's no statistical significance of these two 
factors. So there is no correlation between, at least this study showed no correlation between the Ferguson effect and willingness to engage in the community. Yes. What they did find was that self-legitimacy has the strongest effect on willingness to engage in community partnership. Um, It was almost twice as large as the organizational justice scale, um, which absolutely surpasses any kind of statistical evidence that they found between the Ferguson effect and willingness to engage. So self-legitimacy is actually one of the, according to this study, is one of the most important things when asking officers to engage with their communities. So they they need to have a feeling of power in what they're doing in order to engage with the community. Precisely. Huh. So what, given this information, what does the study suggest? So this study suggests that the Ferguson effect is actually not the largest factor in policing, which um, I, I particularly think that, that, like, I could have guessed that, but it's really nice to have this statistical work laid out to, to see that that is, in fact, what the science has said. And they're saying that, like, regardless of bad publicity, it's very unlikely that the police will stop responding to violent crime. It is maybe more conceivable that they're less willing to engage in community partnerships. So that can lead to mm. poorer policing and more crime. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the police are just stopping doing their work because of negative publicity. Okay. So like so like to clarify, basically what the study is, is saying is that protesting and media backlash don't seem to be leading factors that are negatively influx, influencing the police's ability to respond to crime. So right. this kind of... So I think this is like a crazy concept that is like difficult to conceptualize, but the study is basically saying that this idea that has been touted in the media in the media that that people's criticism of police and people's kind of like attack of what they're doing and this this sort of media storm that's occurring is not actually impacting their ability to effectively respond to crime right but it might make them less likely to engage with members of the community exactly um So that was like their direct suggestions regarding the Ferguson effect. The thing then, and that's, that's cool. And that's great. And I'm glad that they address the alleged Ferguson effect. But the thing that I found the most interesting about this study, and I wanted to talk about this with you, Taylor, is this idea of self-legitimacy and how important it is, um, or how important this study suggests that it is in officers doing their job well. Yeah, because this is going back again for having a feeling of self-legitimacy is having a feeling of power within your role. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this, I mean, this opens, uh, uh, power and police, like, I think go hand in hand. We think of the two as very, um, very similar and I, I mean, there's so much to break apart here. Yeah, there's so much. I mean, one thing that we can ask is, like, do you feel like you have power in your job, Taylor? (laughs) Uh, I'm a therapist. Yeah. So. (laughs) But, like, your ability to be a therapist, like, you are self-legitimized in your ability to be a therapist. I do. I do feel like I have power in that. Yeah. Um, 
Power is a really interesting word for it. But see, but that's exactly why I think this is interesting is because power in different positions looks so different. And so it's kind of like, what does power look like? Exactly. What does that self-legitimacy and power look like for each? Right. for, For this job. And I think when like, like police are so often called upon to have power in executing the law, but the law affects people so differently like there's so many different ways that people can be affected by the law and I think that that is that is one very interesting and also this idea of like having power over a situation that is out of your control is really difficult and so often police officers are going into situations that they don't really know how to handle like they're not trained in like any kind of like they don't have a lot of training in mental health um like dealing with people that struggle with mental health they don't have a lot of training in like dealing with people that are um that have been raped or assaulted like it's interesting to think of like how much skill they're lacking in addressing all of these issues but what they are skilled with is shooting a gun and and being physically powerful you're saying like the power to be effective tends to be more of like this stereotypically masculine dominant view rather than more of like a de-escalation and ability to like connect or, or muddle through some of these difficult pieces. Yeah, it's like this. The, that's exactly it. It's the ability to connect actually is something that I think a lot of police officers have been taught to lack because right. so often they're trained in like you don't know what's going to happen you have to be on your toes all the time like they have this sense of such uncertainty going into their job that like the only way they can have power in their position is to execute physical force to feel that sense of control so that's so that's so interesting because it's like making me think is the need for power and control in this in in the idea of policing and a police as a career mm-hmm. is that something that is a personality trait or like a selection effect of someone who decides oh, to wow. go into that career is that like are 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 there certain aspects of a person's personality or life or experiences that make them more likely to go into this and that's why this power um is this really important piece here or wow, that's a is huge it, question right and these are just my thoughts i don't yeah. know if there's any you know evidence behind this but there's that and then there's is it the is it the training um or the partnership or that idea right. of being on this police force something that heightens the importance of this of this conceptualization of power right that's so that's so fascinating and then oh that's just like (laughs) that's so so much my brain is going crazy right now it's also like interesting to think about people that have a sense of like they don't have a lot of control oftentimes it's like not they don't really understand what they're dealing with and um, I think that plays into like the racial issues as well. Wait, can you explain what you mean? Because I don't know if I mean if I understand. Oh, what you sorry. Mean by that. Yeah, like um, when like police officers, the level of uncertainty that they're like 
that they're working from and that like need to have power over that uncertainty and exert power to feel more confident in their jobs. And safe, confident and, and safe. safe. I think there's a safety feature that's that's playing there. Right. But the interesting thing about that is that um, like if we take, if we talk about race in that, in, in that vein, the idea that like black men are unsafe to deal with and that's why more force is used because they're, they feel like their safety is threatened and in order to have control and power over the situation, they exert more force as opposed to like dealing with like white people. Right. I think that's totally true. I think that the, the even unconscious need mm-hmm. to exert more power to maintain safety. I think there's a part of this that um, the power is tied into self-preservation, um, which is an unfortunate subconscious reaction on part for particularly for African Americans who are in these situations and are doing nothing to elicit that mm-hmm. response. Um, and I think it also makes cops defensive because it's not an active thought that right. they're having. Um, but there is a sense of, of internal danger. There's a heightened inner response um, in these situations that's making it more difficult for them yeah. to respond in a way that's not focused on asserting power and dominance and control. Right. It's like it's that to, un- to feel safe. That unfamiliarity um, in order to reckon with in order to not reckon with their own fear. They override that fear by being like, it's okay, I'm going to take full control of this situation by exerting force, which that right. plays... Right, and in, this is all happening instantaneously in, like, yeah. quick, quick moments of thought, and because these are, you know, most, maybe not all, but I would say a lot of police situations are kind of playing out very quickly, and a, and the self-legitimacy isn't... Yeah. It, it's interesting that you're saying that they're playing out very quickly, because I actually think that sometimes... Um, they're being executed very quickly without needing to be. I also really appreciate your use of the word executed versus playing out. I think executed is a very appropriate word for what's going on Mm, right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Another thing that this made me think of was if self-legitimacy is about having power in your job, what does power look like in general, like in the world, especially in... I have no idea. Right, but... such a. What is power? What is we need like Kanye? Was it Kanye West? I don't know. Oh no! no one life should sorry. have so, all that power. That's what it is. You know what? I, sorry, let me rephrase. Like we need like Fifty Cent to re- to weigh in on what is power. He's a whole show about it. So really? Oh yeah, that's right. He has that show called Power. Yeah. <laughs> on Stars Network. But I yeah it. Well, I think that power as women we may think of power very differently. But I think that power is sensationalized in the media as in like a very toxically masculine way, Um, or at least it has been for a long time. So I think that that has like a a huge effect on how many people deal in their jobs is, well, if I can execute power from a place of masculinity, because that's our hierarchical norm. I know, you know, I I do think that plays out. in everyone's jobs in different ways like Mm -hmm. how do you feel how do you feel competent how do you feel yeah how do you feel valued um and if for an officer that's directly tied to 
like these rapid, hard decisions in in dominance and in control, in managing a situation and taking control of it and showing you're going to enforce the law. Right. Enforce the law. You're going to control. And I think, you know, their job isn't to control. It's to protect. (laughs) Right. Their job is to protect. And those are very different. Yeah. And I think like, wow, like that's such an important like distinction of what is what is the function of the police? Because when we talk about what the function of police is, I think a lot of times we talk about, you know, controlling Mm -hmm. is because it's the police police's function is not to prevent crime. It's not. Um, (laughs) At least that's not how they function. They do. They do not serve to do that at all. It's to react to crime or I think also sometimes maybe to serve as the enforcer to generate revenue for cities and towns. Mm. It's like a symbolic representation of law. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think understanding what exactly even is the function of the poli- police is is interesting, but it, it should be to protect people. Like we, because people say yeah. like, what are you going to, what are you going to do when your car gets stolen? And you have no one to call. What are you going to do when you're, when, you know, your daughter gets raped and you have no one to call and what, like, so <laughs> like, That's a joke. right. It is yeah. a joke. Cause we know that, you know, the majority of rapes go, um, un, unsolved and uninvestigated and unaddressed. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, but it's that idea that the police are there to protect you from these things but but actually what they're often i think what they're often called in to do is like reactionarily respond like their 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 job ideally is to seek justice <laughs> for a lot of these transgressions that already have been made rather than preventing the transgressions in the first place right and if their job was to prevent the transgressions in the first place, well, then maybe we need to have better sex education. Maybe we need to change the way we're teaching our boys so that way they don't execute so many of these crimes that come from a place of toxic masculinity. Right. Like really protecting people comes from a place of education um, and maybe controlling. <laughs> controlling people is what the police are trying to do right now. But we all know that you can't control people. Right. What police is... <laughs> uh, you know, representative function of to serve and protect is so far off from what their their executed function is. Yes. Um, and I think it's that's where the repair needs to happen. That's where the change yeah. needs to happen. Wow, this has been a really interesting discussion. Thanks, Paula, for bringing that study. I think it was really fascinating and raised some really, really interesting points, especially with everything going on right now. Yeah, super interesting to talk about. And hey, who knows? When this episode comes out, maybe there will be, you know many 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 different budget distributions and the police's um, jobs will start to be evaluated a little bit differently yeah yeah we can hope yeah. for that so i think it's time for a segment with taylor that we like to call little epiphanies taylor you got a little epiphany for us yeah so i had a little epiphany this week and i wrote a thing And here it is. There's a venomous hope that courses through our reactions in the aftermath of a relationship. The knee-jerk desire to share moments of your life with them stays, followed closely by a bite of remembrance that they're no longer available. 
This learned impulse to reach them to share in a feeling of excitement, surprise, or gratitude, the pain lies here. In realizing that the buzzing energy of camaraderie and partnership in the face of the world has decayed. The illusion of having created a shield of security within each other falls. You're left with impulse. The repeated thought of them followed by a wake-up call. You're left standing there, holding this feeling and finding a shelf in your mind to put it on. Redirecting your propensity for connection to self-soothing and self-validation. Giving your own soul the hug, the laugh, the disapproving look that you had come to expect from them. It's a skill you've practiced before, but you hadn't realized in nurturing this relationship that perhaps you neglected this practice. Maybe you had gradually entwined more of yourself into the idea of them than you realized. This happens, and now you're untangling. I love that, and for so many reasons, uh, but I think so much of it is like just the, the last bit, like untangling from somebody. And like, I find myself doing that whenever like I leave, like I'm home for what, like I was in quarantined with my parents and then like I came back here and suddenly I'm like untangling from being around them all the time. And like, mm-hmm. you know, like having that, like want to tell them something and be like, ah, oh, shoot, like they're, you know, they're not outside my door. Um, and finding those ways to like do the things that they did for you but do them for yourself that's like a that's such a huge concept and struggle of mine I have found yeah it's so easy to like become not dependent but just like reliant I don't know if those two things are the same it's so interesting Um, because I think that when we form a relationship with someone that's meaningful or you know that you find substance in you there's that reciprocity of sharing Mm. in these moments with them and you start to get used to that and you get acquainted to it and you find a sense of like joy and fulfillment in that and then when there's a disconnect in that relationship for whatever reason whether it's a death or a loss or um, a move or a breakup or a transition that impulse to reach to them and want to yeah. like want to have that moment with them or want to you know utilize them to share in your experience of the world that's that's stuck with you you yeah. know it's it's the reason that i have so much trouble justifying traveling alone cuz i feel like i i don't untangle easily from people mm. and i i like i sharing experiences is like it's it's actually really difficult for me to imagine a world in which I take a trip by myself. That's so fascinating because I totally relate to that. I've always felt that like I you know the the idea that if you if I could snap my fingers to have, you know, dinner at a restaurant, like a five-star restaurant in Italy and just if I was just to sit there alone um and have it, uh I would get so little out of that compared yeah. to having it with with anyone else, literally anyone else. And mm-hmm. I don't know why that is because it's not that I don't think I deserve a, a, like a that time alone or it's not that I don't, it's not that I'm not comfortable yeah. being alone either. But I think right. there's something in sharing that and looking with someone and saying like, you know? Yeah. It's particularly new experiences for me because I find that like I can go to a restaurant in New York that I've 
into before and right. eat by myself and be perfectly happy. But if it's a new restaurant, I'm like sad somebody else isn't there. <laughs> like I find myself doing it now because I'm my my partner is moving to New York um, within the next month, but he's not here yet. And as I'm like biking through new neighborhoods, I find myself being like, oh, I wish he was also biking through this neighborhood newly with me. But like, yeah, well, I just like it's so interesting because I think of myself as a very independent person. And yet and yet that longing to share experiences with other people is like so deep inside of me. Yeah, I find it in those moments, those new moments, as well as in those in moments of shared interest. So when you when you recognize a moment in your life that's exciting to you, um, that you know that because of something else that someone likes that they would also it would also be of particular interest to them and you want to just you know I experience it with them and be able to kind of rest that that thought or that moment with with them and upon them and and you can't um for whatever reason yeah it's such a it's actually such like a simple thing it's like it's grief right it's that's that's what we're talking about but it's it's such a complex feeling. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I find it very familiar. It's eerily familiar, too, right? Yeah, it is. Um, at the scale of which it's familiar, like how, how large that feeling is differs dependent on the situation. But mm-hmm. it is very, very familiar. And it makes me wonder. I actually, that made me just think, when was the first time I felt that? Probably before you could even recognize what it was, because I mean, Isn't it makes it, it makes me think of just you know attachment to that person. Um, mm. You know, we we have that when when we're younger, and I, I think it I think it goes on because across our lives we form these connections, and each connection is so specific and so you know unique in its own context and you go through so many transitions that so so many like friendships and relationships that you've built have to end because we have all these transitions in our lives. So I think the mm-hmm. frequency in which this occurs within our, our own lives is is pretty often. It's maybe like you said some instances more painful than others, but I definitely can't think of the the first time I felt this because I think I've felt it to different degrees. Yeah. That's I've, so crazy. I've felt it like when after my dog passed away like you know like walking through a store and seeing pig ears because my dog used to really like pig ear like treats you know <laughs> like like little things yeah. or someone shares like a joke uh or you, you you know you see a joke on something that you would you would share with someone who specifically was like entertained uh yeah by that type of joke yeah it yeah can be just little moments yeah hmm well, thank you for sharing that little epiphany. That was so beautiful. Yeah, that was just my my little epiphany of just a tiny moment that I think happens in my brain that is, I'm sure happens to yeah. everyone. But thanks for listening. Well, that was an episode. Yeah, it was. It was. It was <laughs> a pretty heavy episode for for us. I think. Oh yeah, it, it's a heavy time. Well. We'll see you again next week for another episode of Study Buddies, and um, we'll we'll try to keep it light, but we make no promises. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we don't know. We, it's one week from now; the world could be on fire, and we would only be able to like talk about specifically the fire. So who knows? Yeah, we have 
truly no idea. Sending love to y'all. I hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye-bye now. Bye, guys. Study Buddies was created by Paula Sanchez Abreu and Taylor Collins. Our graphic design was done by Monica Ray Summers Gonzalez, and our intro song was composed by singer-songwriter Caught In Between. You can follow Study Buddies on Instagram at studybuddies.com and email the show at studybuddiespodcast at gmail.com.